0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, January 20th. We begin with our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Neufeld. We speak with the Chief about the healing process ahead for CPS members following the loss of one of their own including the mental health resources available to grieving officers.
1: Today is Inauguration Day in the United States. We speak to a professor of political science from the University of Alberta on the impact a Joe Biden presidency will have here in Alberta.
0: Next, we head to the UK where close to 4 million citizens have received a vaccine for COVID-19. We get an update on the current situation and lockdown restrictions from Kenny James, UK broadcaster and business owner.
1: And finally, it's a local answer to Amazon. We speak with a Calgary tech entrepreneur about the launch of her new website, BrowseYYC.com, a site which brings together the speed and convenience of online shopping with a hyper-local focus. It is 7.09 and Calgary Police Chief Mark Neufeld joins us this morning for his monthly visit here on the Morning News. Good morning to you, Chief
2: Good morning, Sue.
1: Before we get started, I want to tell you I went on a hike yesterday and got up to the top. A long 10k hike. Got up to the top, and there um, is a, a spot where they've got a, a Canadian flag uh, in a, a big, uh, you know, kind of thing of rocks. But it's been a, it's created a memorial for for uh, Sergeant Harnett that uh, passed away. They've got the, his picture. They've got some blue ribbons up there. So I thought that was pretty special that they've created a little more memorial up at the top of this beautiful mountain that we can all go and visit.
2: Well, isn't that nice? I'm glad to hear
1: that. Yeah, me too. I just thought I'd share that with you. Um, obviously, you know, it, it must have been just horrendous for the entire force. It was devastating for the city to lose one of our, our CPS members after that traffic stop went wrong on January 1st. So can I ask you what kind of, you know, mental health issues can cause, can be caused for your officers by an incident like this and, and how you deal with it as as a team?
2: Yeah, sure. These incidents are tough, as you say. I think that was a shocking uh, a shocking incident when it came in at the end of the year. And I think everybody goes through, you know, just a flood of emotions when something like this happens. Um, you know, and early on, just trying to get uh, information out to families and that sort of thing to make sure that, um, you know, information doesn't um, get out ahead of us being able to make notifications. These days with social media and all the different ways people can... Uh, can and do uh, communicate, um, that's, a, that's a bigger challenge than ever trying to, trying to stay out in front of that and, and do things, have things unfold in the way that we would hope they would in the most uh, empathetic way. But I, I just think it's, it's, uh, it's with grief and loss, it uh, impacts everybody in different ways and at different times. And it's really important for us uh, right now to sort of, you know, get under our folks and, and hug them and hold them, if you will, and mm-hmm. just help them to move through this uh, one step at a time.
0: Steve, can you explain to the general public the resources available to to officers and their families at a time like this? What sort of an infrastructure is in place for the CPS?
2: Uh, we've got great programs in the CPS. In fact, some of the best I've ever seen, uh, Andrew. Um, so we've got our psychological services um, area there that does uh, lots of intake and lots of assessment. And, and there's um, external resources available around counseling and that sort of thing if need be. Internally, we have peer support groups. We have... Um, we have critical incident stress debriefings. Um, we basically have a menu of uh, programs and options available that would, I guess, cater to you know individuals as they move through the grieving process in their own unique way. And that also includes families because we know that uh, the natural supports for officers are very, very important. And, you know, I, I just think about the fact that um, this was the first time uh, since 2001 that we've lost an officer during a, a line of duty death like this. And so, you, you know, you think of families whose uh, loved ones are going out day after day and you always have that bit of solace knowing mm-hmm. that the numbers are on your side that, you know, for, for 20 years, you know, um, you know, partners have been coming and going and, and everything has gone fine and then it isn't. And so I think we've got to make sure that we're um, looking after everybody on all sides of the equation here.
1: Well, I know the whole city, you know, behind the force and and really thinking of all of you, a difficult time for everybody for sure. I wanted to switch gears a little bit with you, Chief, and ask you, you know, as we saw what happened down at the Washington, uh, the Capitol, you know, a couple of weeks ago now, just in terms of preparedness, what do do the Calgary Police have in plan, in place as a plan? Should something erupt, obviously not to that degree, but should something erupt in our city? You know, what do you have in place to, to make sure that you're ready to go and that the city is safe?
2: Yeah, good question, uh, Sue. These are unpredictable times. We, we appreciate that. Um, we work with law enforcement partners across uh, North America and around the world, in fact, to share intelligence and assess risk um, because there's sometimes linkages between stuff going on um, in different areas. And so they can, you know, with social media and that sort of thing, you can see um, things sort of move across jurisdictions from time to time. There's presently nothing to suggest any specific concerns, as you say, here at home. But our officers are really well-trained and equipped to deal with uh, whatever might uh, might uh, arise. You uh, might be aware that um, Calgary and the CPS are no strangers to hosting international gatherings, and I'm thinking of um, G8, G20 in the past. Mm-hmm. World Petroleum Congress was another um, where we dealt with large demonstrations and, and protests uh, regularly, and we do from day to day as well. So I think each event basically undergoes an internal risk assessment, and then resources are assigned accordingly based on that uh, risk. But you know, for the most part in Calgary we see uh, groups who want to uh, get out and demonstrate and and ensure their voices are heard. And we facilitate the expression of those rights. So that's our role with respect to all of that. Our folks are really, really good about working with um, organizers and and, uh, individuals who are wanting to um, uh, put those uh, demonstrations together to just make sure that things can, you know, they can have those uh, facilitation of those rights, but it also happens in a way that's lawful, peaceful, and safe.
0: Let's talk COVID-19 and, you know, with the restrictions that we currently have in place and as we move deeper into the pandemic, I'm wondering if you can give us an update as to, you know, perhaps how many tickets the CPS has written uh, so far in 2021 and and how you feel, uh, you know, that, that it's been going as far as perhaps the CPS having to step things up and, uh, you know, uh, help when people are not uh, complying to mask wearing, etc.?
2: Yeah, I've got some numbers here for you, uh, Andrew, since uh, these go back to August of 2020, actually, but we, and this is just CPS, this isn't bylaw or the city, um, we've written 45 uh, tickets in total for failing to wear uh, face coverings. And then in terms of the public health tickets there, we've uh, actually uh, seen a pretty big jump. We've gone up to 120, and that's since November the 24th. And you'll recall that's around the time that Dr. Hinshaw... Wrote to the police chiefs in the province asking for some help as we moved into the second wave and reducing some of the impact on uh, our health system um and in terms of how how it goes um i think it's been difficult i think i mean the bottom line is um the majority of calgarians i think have been reasonable and very few tickets have had to be necessary and we've been able to work through issues uh, collaboratively and and things have gone as we would have hoped but I, I've, what I've been calling some complex clients or some people who are sort of anti-government, anti-health orders, um, people who simply don't want to comply and won't comply. Chief, how, lat-
1: Sorry, finish. I no, on I was going to say
2: that latter group's been a bit more uh, more challenging to mm. uh, deal with. And I think it's frustrating for um, the average Calgarian who's trying to, um, you know, balance off the, the greater good, the greater community good against their own individual rights mm-hmm. that watch what happens sort of downtown in the protests and think, well... Gosh, why isn't why isn't more done there? And I think uh, I think that's been challenging.
1: How are the numbers within the force? Uh, are your officers? I mean, you're in close quarters in vehicles. Uh, have you been able to to make sure that the numbers stay pretty low within the uh, the ranks?
2: We have. We've done really really well. Uh, I'm really proud of the way that we've uh, managed internally. We've had a couple of bumps, and we've learned from uh, those when uh, those situations have occurred and made the changes that have been necessary. As of yesterday, we had actually, I think, two or three active cases only and about 20 um, people self-isolating as a result of uh, close contacts. And so that's actually really quite low for an organization our size.
0: We appreciate your time this morning, uh, Chief. Thank you for uh, spending it with us.
2: Hey, you're very welcome. Have a great day, you guys.
0: That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Neufeld. 8.43 on the morning news. In just a little over an hour, Joe Biden will be inaugurated as president of the United States. And one of the first things he's rumored to do is put a stop to the Keystone XL pipeline. But what does this and the rest of Biden's policies mean for Alberta? Jeffrey Hale is a political scientist out of the University of Alberta and author of the No, uh, So Near, Rather, and Yet So Far, The Public and Hidden Worlds of Canada-U.S. Relations. Joining us now with his thoughts, thoughts is Professor Hale. Good morning to you. Good morning. Let's uh, let's break this down here, and uh, you know we want to get into some of the finer details. But in general, is it is black and white as saying this is a good thing or a bad thing uh, for Alberta with a new commander in chief?
3: Uh, Well, it certainly will not help uh, the uh, Alberta economy. Uh, It will put more pressure on. uh... for discounts on alberta oil given the limits on takeaway capacity Mm -hmm. uh... if line three uh... of enbridge goes uh... uh, goes through as expected and planned uh... we can uh... we can absorb uh... a certain amount of additional production uh... if if uh, Trans Mountain goes through, we have a little more spare, but but this means that uh, there is very definitely a takeaway cap on on uh, oil sands production over the next over the next uh, few years.
1: We know the prime minister has been in touch with Biden's administration and hopes that that announcement will not come today beyond oil and gas. Uh, are there other things that the administration, this new administration, will mean for us here in Alberta? Uh, I
3: think that the most likely uh, outcome uh, is that there will be discussions on uh, a regional grid or, or expanding the regional grid for the production of renewable energy. Uh, we have one major tie line uh, with Montana, uh, however, with, re- with the expansion of renewables uh, and the fact that uh, wind power in particular is pretty variable. Uh, most of the studies that have been done suggest that you want as broad a grid as possible to limit interruption uh, we also will need to maintain base supply in alberta uh... just you know for for the times the wind isn't uh, isn't blowing so that is a technical issue that will be a build-out over time and will depend on how far uh... up the uh... the priority chain it is for the biden administration uh, another issue which um, uh, people in Ottawa are very definitely looking at is both the risk and potential for uh, border adjustment taxes on carbon. We have no idea uh, what a very narrowly divided Congress will be will will do on that topic. Uh, but if uh, if there are border measures, that could also have an effect on cross-border trade, uh, which uh, could create problems in the in the medium term.
0: I'm, I'm wondering, Jeffrey, the uh, USMCA, the trade agreement that is replacing. Uh, you know nafta i uh, haven't seen uh, too much action to that' it's, it's you know if you look at it it's uh, in the grand scheme of things fairly new. Will that not offer up some protections as far as our industries uh, you know, even if we have a new administration in the u s
3: uh it, it It provides some protection because the Democrats in Congress were fully involved in um, in the ratification process. And they negotiated some things, some of which worked for Canada, and some of which uh, were more or less indifferent for Canada. I think the big deal uh, with the Biden administration will be negotiating an exemption for uh, the Buy American uh, uh, proposals that he is uh, proposing to to uh, bring to Congress. Uh, the uh, this is something we went through with the Obama administration in 2010. Uh, and what it means is that uh, uh, provinces uh, would have to uh, open up uh, more of their purchasing uh, for uh, for North American goods or covered goods uh, under any agreement. Uh, and the question is, is there enough in it for the Americans uh, given the fact that they are borrowing billions billions of dollars? uh to uh, for economic stimulus uh, is it worth is it worth enough for the americans to allow that to to allow more of that money to trickle over into canada
1: well we're just over an hour away from joe biden being sworn in we'll all be watching to see what happens and if he does put a stop to keystone xl as of today thanks for joining us this morning professor
3: my my pleasure
1: that is Professor Jeffrey Hale, political scientist at the University of Lethbridge. 609 on the
0: morning news. The United Kingdom, which has the world's fifth official COVID-19 death toll, is racing to be among the first major countries to vaccinate its population. To date, the U.K. has vaccinated 3.9 million people with a first dose and almost a half million with a second. However, the stringent restrictions still very much in place. Citizens and business owners continue to face challenges. With an update on the current situation, we are joined by Kenny James, a UK broadcaster and business owner. Good morning to you, Kenny.
4: Morning, Andrew.
0: Uh, Can you give us an update as far as the restrictions in place? Do they remain the same as they were a couple weeks ago when we spoke with you?
4: Yeah, we're still in lockdown over here. All non-essential businesses having to stay closed, so uh, food, shops, dentists, opticians... Also, businesses all open, but all hospitality, which is pubs, restaurants, hotels, uh, hair salons, beauty salons, boutiques, etc., all closed. Uh, no standards yet as to when the restrictions may start to be lifted. Uh, some commentators are saying now it could be as far away as May this year.
1: Wow. OK, uh, I mean, the rollout in high gear when it comes to vaccinating the entire UK population. So how does that look from your perspective, Kenny? You know, are they sort of running through different levels of, of um, you know, seniors, for example, first and, and, and that sort of thing? How, how is the breakdown being done?
4: Yeah, so our, our vaccine rate uh, so far, Sue, been averaging around 250,000 vaccines a day. Uh, priority being given to elderly, uh, clinically vulnerable people. People in care homes also being prioritised. And the target to have 3 million vaccines being given out each week by the end of this month. So hoping by mid-February to have 15 million uh, people in the UK vaccinated. We're in the unenviable position, of course, of having had almost 3.5 million people who have contacted COVID in the UK, uh, 91,500 deaths so far. Uh, As Andrew said, we're one of the worst death rates uh, in in Europe. Uh, But also we're leading the vaccination numbers. So Mm -hmm. there is some bright signs coming towards the end of the road.
0: You mentioned the death rates, Kenny, and the, the large numbers. I'm sure that that's over the past basically year or, or 10 months or so. Uh, so how are, are the rates right now? Are are you seeing a decrease in the amount of cases?
4: Well, there's been an average of 33,300 people testing positive each day in the last week. These are rolling one-week figures. and That's actually down by 22% on the previous week. But the average number of deaths that are being put down to COVID has risen above 1,600 a day now in the UK. And that's a rise of 20%. So there's still massive amounts of work to be done.
1: Just looking at a rough population in the UK, 67.61 million people. So a lot of people to be vaccinated here. What, are there certain little, um, like, do you have to go somewhere, Kenny? Where do they give the vaccinations?
4: Well, so far there have been local centres in, in, in all areas that you can go to, but in the past week they've opened 10, government here has opened 10 mass vaccination centres where you, they can do up to 10 or 15,000 vaccinations a day, uh, even Blackburn Cathedral in the north of England being one of them because it has the space and the ability to do it. Football grounds are opening uh, both in, in England and Scotland, uh, places where people can easily get and they can get in, get vaccinated and get out very quickly.
0: Let's talk about uh, you know the fact that you are under these stringent lockdowns and, and rules. So is there any indication as to where these new cases keep cropping up? and obviously the uh, you know increase in deaths more than anything? Um, are there people that are not following these guidelines?
4: Opinion over here is split country. that um, there's still a lot of people who, of course, sort of, uh, don't believe that COVID even exists and are still fighting against it. There are a lot of anti-vaxxers who, who don't believe that the vaccination will do anything in particular and some people reckon, you know, it can make you even worse. Um, there was some talk over Christmas where the, the rules were light, uh, lightened a little so people get to get together over Christmas and the thought was there would be a big bounce in the numbers uh, of people with the, um, the, the COVID, COVID itself uh, and that hasn't happened it's been fairly steady so uh, it's just been that in some places people not paying enough attention to to the two meter distancing wearing the mask, cleaning your hands and, and, and staying in your social bubble
1: Kenny, curious, uh, these are the first rounds of vaccinations so do you know, did the, uh, did the government hold back the second shots or are you just hoping that enough vaccine will come in that the second shots can then be given down the road when they're supposed to be
4: well, it, as you know, so there are a number of different vaccines. So the, the Pfizer-BioNTech, the first vaccine which needed two jabs, has uh, now in many ways been, been superseded over here by the AstraZeneca Oxford one, which is a single jab. And it, it's easy to store. It doesn't need to be kept at minus 70, which the, the, the Pfizer-BioNTech was. Uh, and what's happened now, it, it, just to get it out quickly, they're giving people the first, uh, the, the first um, Pfizer-BioNTech jab uh, and no date for the second jab as yet. They're just trying to get everyone... Into stage one first.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the fact that you know you being a business owner, the frustration, uh, you know, as far as you know, trying to do your, your best, trying to keep your business running, and uh, these uh, you know, obviously stringent restrictions continue. Are you hearing a lot of frustrated business owners?
4: A uh, lot. Businesses are increasingly starting to call for more government financial support. Uh, it's estimated up here that in some fields, over fifty percent of companies won't be around. When the current lockdown ends, we have the, the furlough scheme over here, which is paying 80% of staff wages when they're not working. And the, the real feeling is that when that stops, <clears throat> there won't be jobs for them to go back into. Um, so some estimates say as many as 10 million people could be out of a job when this is over.
1: Wow. Uh, just shocking numbers. Kenny, for pubs and restaurants, et cetera, I mean, we here in Alberta anyway, we've got uh, you know curbside pickup, but you can't go in. Is that what it's like there? Or is it just fully shut down?
4: No, at the moment, you cannot operate as a takeaway. People can come inside to collect, but there's been increasing talk in the past week that they may stop that. For just literally at curbside if you're talking. But at the moment, you can go into a takeaway and pick up your meal, but you can't hang around there wait meet anybody else.
0: Hearing these huge numbers, are 3.9 million people vaccinated in the schedule of 250,000, I believe you said, per week with the vaccinations i'm wondering if if it's uh, the same in the uk that there are still those people out there who uh, say you know i'm I'm not going to trust a vaccine i i will not opt in uh, to be vaccinated you you hear that in the uk
4: yeah we have anti-vaxxers who uh, who for whatever reason don't believe that it will work or don't believe that they should be forced to to do it of course it's not compulsory in the uk so nobody has to take it at this stage uh it's being offered to people who are high risk people um, but there's 250,000 people a day with, with, with the vaccine over here now on average. But a lot of people are still saying that they won't have it or don't believe it, 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 it's, it's a, a real uh, a, a real illness and b that the vaccine will do any, any good anyway. So there, there's always the people that, as, as you find, that uh, are naysayers and uh, yes. don't believe that anything anything is real.
1: Well, we're certainly watching how your rollout is going in the UK. It's much, much slower here in Canada. We wish you luck, Kenny, and thanks for always chatting with us and and giving us a good checkup of what's happening in your country. Thanks for joining us this morning.
4: Thank you, guys.
1: That is Kenny James, who's a broadcaster in the UK and a business owner. And, uh, boy, the number of people there. But, boy, they've really managed to figure out the vaccine rollout, haven't they?
0: Well, yeah, and, I mean, it just goes to show that, you know, even with... Almost 4 million people vaccinated, and like you say, they go through the order with the highest risk and, and the elderly and the LTCs, but 1,600 deaths per day. Yeah. And it goes to show that even when, if we were to ramp it up, that, that's great, that's exactly what we want. And it sounds like our government here in the province, and there was a lot of finger pointing, but they're saying, hey, we're doing what we can um, but even as the vaccines roll out, it, it just goes to show that the cases can still be incredibly large and alarming. Mm-hmm. And then the business aspect—you put Kenny into that mix as uh, being a business owner—it's got to be crushing. And it's interesting how we all hear the same thing. He is hurting as a business owner in the hospitality, uh, you know, world as ours are here. He said the 10 million jobs might never come back. That's Shocking. staggering.
1: Browse YYC. It's a new online store featuring local products. Think Amazon-level convenience. With details on a great platform to help you shop local, we're joined this morning by Alberta tech entrepreneur and founder of Browse YYC, Tira McGinn. Good morning, Tira. Good morning. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Cool idea. We know how Amazon works, but this local version you've created, tell us about Browse YYC.
5: Well, thank you so much for having me here. So Browse YYC is, as you said, it's an online platform, think Amazon-level convenience. So sellers all across the city can think into Browse YYC. If they currently are selling online, they can connect their inventory. If they have a point-of-sale system, they can connect that. And basically what it does is make their inventory searchable. So as a shopper, you can go to Browse YYC and say, search for a sweater and find all of the sweaters that are available across the city no matter who they're being sold from and either complete the purchase online on browse yyc or connect with the seller directly brilliant yeah
0: so that's the shopping side of it what about the retail side and these local uh, retailers and businesses how do they get involved and what does that look like
5: so all they have to do currently is visit browseyyc.com uh, sellers have all the information they need right there and they can feel free to contact me for more information and there's currently an application form we're working on onboarding as many sellers as we can prior to going live in the spring because we want customers to hit the site and have that, wow, I can find what I need here type of experience um, the first time they start shopping in the springtime.
1: Tira, can you give us an example of some of the, uh, the, 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 the uh, I businesses. guess local businesses, yes, thank you, that, that are, are contacting you or interested in getting
5: you know, involved with this? So far, I've been contacting uh, and working with each of the, the BIA districts, um, so Kensington and Inglewood and things like that. Um, I was at a BIA meeting yesterday with all of the different directors, and we were talking about this issue and uh, the issue of trying to create more online traffic for these businesses. Um, and they're working with the, with their business list and finding out um, who would be best for joining the platform.
0: So, you know, with Amazon, you, you know, sometimes if you, if you want to up it, you have to, you know, pay a fee. Is there a fee? For a browse YYC
5: yeah sellers so can join the platform for thirty nine ninety nine a month and we'll never take a commission on sales and then is there a cost for us to shop on it? not currently no and um, down the road we might eventually set up some kind of a VIP program sort of like an Amazon prime kind of thing that gets you access to free delivery but um, you know it, there'll never be a cost for for people to shop at a basic level at all
0: a very win win you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, we're looking for you know goods that we want to get into our hands and the uh, retailers want a different outlet, and we all you know, want that local. Thank you so much for your time, Tira. We appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You as well. That is Tira McGinn, Alberta tech entrepreneur and founder of Browse YYC. You can search him online at BrowseYYC.com.